Once again, it was uh, great to be able to sing what now we will be looking at in a bit more detail. Um, As we uh, turn to God's Word, uh, let's turn to Him in prayer, and please do take out your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 61. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, may your word that is before us be our rule of faith and life. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher today and always. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Is there anything in your life right now that seems out of reach? Is there a purchase that's just too expensive? Is there a relationship that's too elusive? Is the solution to a problem, a problem that's so looming, so large, you can't even see a solution. All you see is the problem. So is there anything in your life right now that seems out of reach? Now, out of reach, it's a common expression, right? Something's out of reach, literally, outside the distance to which someone can stretch out their hand or at a distance at which someone or something cannot be touched or grasped. I mean, we've all seen the movies, right, of the outstretched hand. Something is just beyond. The the hero in the story, the protagonist, they, they can't touch it. They can't get to it. Now, figuratively or metaphorically, out of reach is beyond the capacity of someone to attain or achieve. It just can't be done. It's impossible. I don't have the ability, don't have the skill, don't have the resources. It's beyond me. Now there's an expression here in Psalm 61 that conveys the idea of being out of reach. Look with me to verse 2. Excuse me, verse 3. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In fact, if you've got a Bible that puts kind of titles, uh, your title may say something like this, lead me to the rock. That expression, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, it sounds strange, at least to me it did a number of years ago when I heard a minister quote this verse. I'm thinking, like, was he an English major? I mean, was he in Oxford or Cambridge or somewhere in England? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I? I mean, come on, don't you know it's me, as I thought? Well, it sounds strange, but it's grammatically Correct. Now you can see that when the full expression is used, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. 
Now, wait a minute. There's something that I need, as David is saying, but it's out of reach. It's higher than I am. It's out of reach. It's beyond me. It's beyond my ability. Well, that kind of sounds strange, right, in our self-confident and just-do-it world, right? Higher than me? Out of reach? Sounds strange, but it's theologically correct, of course, but not just theologically correct as if, as in, let me pass an exam with right knowledge, but theologically correct as in, this is the way God has designed his world to work and his people to live. So let's step back and remind ourselves of a few aspects of this of the big picture of the Psalms. Let's zoom out for a moment before we zoom back in to Psalm 61. The Psalms, at once familiar and foreign, songs and prayers offered to God by Israel. It's the hymn and prayer book of the church. I was just talking with someone on the phone the other day and they were saying how, man, it's so great to sing psalms in church. Why hasn't the church done this for a while now, meaning in general across the church landscape. Here we have before us a songbook, and it's wonderful to be able to sing the Psalms, not only read the Psalms, hear the Psalms. It's a songbook, diverse yet unified. I mean, every week we, we see a different Psalm, and yet there's a unity. Why? Because they're centered on the one true and living God, and they express the divine human encounter. They reveal God. If you want to know what God is like, he, he tells you in his word. They reveal God. But you know what the Psalms also are doing? They give us permission to reveal ourselves. Are you ever afraid to, to be the real you? To share the real you with someone? The Psalms invite you to say, yes, I'm scared. Yes, I'm weary. Yes, I'm afraid. As we've been seeing, they, they invite us to not only come to know the Lord more and more, his character. They invite us to reveal ourselves. And when we read the Psalms in faith, with faith, we come away not just informed, but we come away transformed. So now let's zoom in to Psalm 61. Join with me now as I read Psalm 61. To the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O oh God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. We don't know 
the exact historical background to the competi- uh, for the composition of the psalm. It could have been when David was away on a military campaign or when he was driven out by his son Absalom. It's a familiar pattern here and a familiar progression. We, we move from prayer to praise. There's time aspects. You'll see the present. You'll see the past. And we'll even look into the future. There's elements in Psalm 61 of lament, of thanksgiving, and petition. Well, no surprise, the psalm begins with an urgent prayer. The psalm begins with an urgent prayer. And we see that in verse 1 in the first part of verse 2. Hear my cry, listen to my prayer. You think God doesn't hear David the first time? I mean, doesn't... Don't we hate it when people repeat themselves, you know? I heard you the first time. Hmm. David is repeating himself. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Just different words to say the same thing. Where is David when he cries out to God? Where is he when he prays? Well, he's at the end of the earth. He's at some distance from Jerusalem. It's a wild exaggeration, but that's what he feels like. That's that's what it feels like. It's a place so remote, not from necessarily Jerusalem as a physical geographic location, but it's a place as remote from heaven as possible. David, the psalmist, believes that he is far from God. Now just... Think about this for a moment. Have you ever felt far from God? Oh, come on. We all do, right? Even the most faithful believer, there are times when the believer feels estranged from, removed from, far from God. Satan would would love to tell that believer, yep, only thing that's going to increase is the distance. But here... David is acknowledging how he feels. He feels distant. He feels far. God is remote. It's an amazing encouragement to us that when we find ourselves in that condition, we've got permission to say, you know what? God's people do experience this. But let's go on as David does. Well, what's his condition? King David. Warrior David, sword in a hand David, fighting enemies left and right David, issuing decrees David. What's his condition? When my heart is faint. When my heart is faint. King James Version, overwhelmed. There's this idea of depression, exhaustion, not here as a coward faint, but as a man overwhelmed by his circumstances. He can't cope any longer. He's weak and he's unstable from fear. My heart is faint. Again, the Psalms not only are going to show us who God is, but they're going to give us the invitation, the opportunity to reveal ourselves. You know, some of my 
most significant times of growth of when I've gone to fellow believers and say, pray for me, I am faint-hearted. I don't know if I can make it. Now, the person that you share that with that that's, doesn't know Jesus by grace through faith may say, aha, you're weak, just be strong. But no, the one who has been saved by grace through faith can identify with and come alongside a faint-hearted believer. Imagine if you would, being in a place like this and in a circumstance like this, feeling far from God, feeling overwhelmed, faint, feeling needy and exposed. I don't know if it's hard to imagine. I think we just need to think. So we're going to unpack and explore David's prayer now. It's almost as if we say to David, David, do you have any prayer request? And here's David's response. You bet I do. Sure. I'd like you to pray for me because right now I'm praying that God would protect me, that God would be with me, and that God would preserve me. And in doing so, as we unpack and explore these prayer requests, uh, we're going to be exposed to a posture and a pattern for prayer That's an invitation to make it our own when times are tough and our heart is faint. My friends, this is good news. This is a psalm for the faint-hearted. And if you're not faint-hearted today and you're on top of the world and things are just coming easy for you, save this psalm. You'll need it one day. I'll need it one day. So let's look at A prayer for protection. A prayer for protection beginning in the second half of two into three. Look at the image he uses. The image he uses. The the rock that is higher than I. It's too high to reach unaided. Therefore, it's unreachable. It's out of reach. Now, this isn't the first time David has spoken about rocks. If you go back to Psalm 18, 2, he says this, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He's saying, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to you, God. Lead me to you, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. The one in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my strong. See, this is an image, this rock, an image of safety and security and stability. But it's it's an image here in Psalm 61. It's beyond the person's ability to get to. You can't reach it on your own. The rock that is higher than I, it's the the high ground in battle. It's the best turf to occupy. It's the most expensive real estate. It's a security that, as it were, lifts us above the threat. So this first image that he uses is one that it's a rock. 
Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And it's, again, it's a request. Lead me. See, David recognizes that he doesn't have the strength to rescue himself. He can only turn to God in prayer and trust. Lead me. Lead me. Do you like to be led? Right? I mean, I want to be a leader, people say, right? There's books and books and books about leaders. How many of you right now want to be a follower? A follower of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, we read in Scripture, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This world is full of books to be Christian leaders, but Jesus' emphasis is on being a, as it were, a Christian follower. David acknowledges that. Lead me. I need help. I want to follow you, God. Do you like to be led? Or do you want to do it yourself? Lead yourself. Be out front. There's a time and a place, of course, for that. But David is recognizing that he needs to be led. King David, warrior David, needs to be led not by his sinful impulse, as you would read in some of the historical books, but no, led by the Lord. And what's his reason? What's his reason for confidence? Notice he provides a reason, God's past action. There's an image. You've been my refuge, a strong tower. You see, a refuge is a safe place to which one flees. And a strong tower is a place of security for those who've fled. It's an image of strength within which we believe we are safe. David starts off with a request for protection. I want the high ground. I can't get there on my own. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It's a prayer for protection. But now he moves into a prayer for God's very presence. And there are more images and more requests. And we see that in verses 4 and 5. Look at this image. Your tent your tent. And what's the request? Let me dwell. Uh, Allow me, permit me, make it possible for me. David is like, I'm not going to barge into your tent. God, let me, give me permission, invite me, bring me to this place. You know, a tent, what an image, right? Y'all ever been camping and the winds come? And the rains come? Yeah, tent doesn't seem so much like a great place. In fact, in Boy Scouts, we sometimes got out of the tent to be safe. God's tent. Ring any bells? The tabernacle. The dwelling place of God where God promises to meet with his people. It's the same word, tent, tabernacle. Uh, God... David yearns to be near God. He yearns for God's fellowship. He feels distant. Let me, let me come to the tent. Let me dwell in your tent. It's be an image here of being a welcomed guest 
into God's presence. There's another image. The shelter of your wings. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Again, allow me, permit me, make it possible for me. I'm not going to barge in. I want to be invited in. Give me the go-ahead. Give me the green light. It's a metaphor here, a word picture for God's compassion. It's the image of the mother bird caring for her young, protecting her young. Notice the movement from rock and tower and refuge, tent, shelter of your wings. It's a movement to increasingly personal terms, going from the naturally high rock to the purposefully built tower, to the hospitality of the tent, to the affectionate parental shelter, to the warmth of loving, protective welcome. Interestingly, The shelter of your wings is the best security of all, despite appearances. You see, this list from rock to tower to um, tent to wings, it seems to decrease in frailty, going from the strong to the weak. But biblically speaking, it's actually the reverse Going from the rock to the tower to the tent to underneath the wings is actually, believe it or not, getting more secure. Remember how Jesus looks at Jerusalem. He has compassion on Jerusalem. He sees them lost without a shepherd. He sees them going hither and thither and he has compassion. He he speaks those words, oh, like a mother hen gathering the chicks under her to protect her. And once again, the reason for his confidence, God's past work. You have heard my vows. You have given me. David makes the promises of obedience. He's heard my vows. He knows I fear his name. He's made promises of obedience but he's received the promises of the covenant. Indeed, beyond David's vows to God are God's vows to him. I will be your God, you will be my people. That covenant love, that unstopping love that God has for his people. Well, as his prayer progresses, David now moves beyond the present, beyond a look back. He focuses now on the future, and we see that in verses 6 and 7. Prolong the life of the king. The king, God, prolong his life. Uh, David's saying, prolong my life. Enable my years to endure. You see, the king, of course, was the center of the social order of Israel. The stability of the kingly office affected the stability of the society. If you want to get some good reading done, just read through 1st and 2nd Kings, right? 1st and 2nd Chronicles. You see what happens. As the king goes, so go the people. And one of the points made 
by the time you get to the end of the kings is <laughs> we haven't found that king. We need the king. The perfect, sinless, flawless, righteous king. The earthly king, of course, among other things, is a symbol for the divine king. You can't see the invisible divine king, but you can see the visible earthly king. Not only prolong his life, not only enable his years to endure, but make it possible for him to be enthroned forever. David's thinking about that promise that God has made to him about his descendants being on the throne forever. He's praying for what God has promised. And what is the king's greatest need? The watchfulness of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. How many times do we hear over and over about the steadfast love and faithfulness of God? His loving kindness toward those with whom he is in a covenantal relationship. I will be your God and you will be my people. Who is David thinking about when he refers to the king? Well, he's thinking about himself, but he's also thinking about another. Why? Forever? King forever? David knows he's going to rest with his fathers just like everyone before him. But he's acting now according to the promise made to him by God. You see, David is leaning forward to the promised Messiah, the promised Redeemer, the promised Savior, the promised Anointed One, the promised King. You see, Psalm 61 leans forward to Jesus, Jesus Christ, David's greater son, this verse was fulfilled in Jesus beyond the expectation of the psalmist. We heard earlier in our prayer that God does far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever prayed and God provides way above and beyond, right? I think we all have, right? We've prayed small and God has answered big Sometimes we pray big and it seems like God answers small, but of course, in his mysterious ways for our good and for his glory. We all know it. We pray small and God answers big. So let's pray big and see what God does. So Psalm 61 is a cry for protection that's prayed in confidence of God's presence and promise, and it ends in praise. Look how the psalm ends. So I, excuse me, so will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day? That movement again from prayer to praise. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end, of course, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So will I ever sing? Will I forever sing day after day, perform my vows. Loving God, loving people, because he first loved me. Performing vows not to get in a relationship with God, but because you are in a relationship with God.
So what do we get out of Psalm 61? Well, one thing is God's word declares that salvation is out of reach. Salvation is out of reach. That's the idea, of course, of self-salvation. That kind of salvation really is out of reach. But not only is it that kind of directly, but indirectly, it's also the idea that we can do what it takes to find God on our own, and then he saves. In other words, yeah, we may not be able to save ourselves, okay, but at least we can put ourselves in the position to be saved. We can get to God. But Scripture everywhere, and here in Psalm 61 through David's words, we know that David can't find it on his own. He has to be led to it. Salvation for David in the physical, literal sense is out of reach. And yet, God's word also declares that salvation is within reach. Oh good, man with forked tongue, right? Speaking out of both sides of his mouth. But yet, what does Paul say as we looked in Acts at his speech in Athens when he's speaking to the philosophers there at the Areopagus, what does he say? Yet God is actually not far from each of us. What does Paul mean? He wants them to think as he looks and observes their idols that they've made with hands. And he's saying, you think those are God's? No, no, no. The real true and living God is actually closer than you think. In him we live and move and have our being, he goes on to say. You see, salvation is within reach because just at the right time, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. It's the incarnation. God came to us. You see, salvation is within reach because God reached down, as it were, and grabbed us and pulled us up. Paul might even said he made dead people alive. We can't reach it on our own, but we are brought to it by grace. See, the way David gets onto the rock that is higher than him is not just that he's given a map. He's not just given some uh, tools to 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 put a toehold in so he can just get a little bit more. No, God, as it were, reaches down and grabs David and puts him on the high rock. Because salvation, according to scripture, is out of reach. It's within reach. And salvation is in and through Jesus Christ alone. You see, Jesus is the tent. He is the tabernacle. He's the temple. He's where God meets with his people. Jesus is the mother bird that cares tenderly, protects his loved ones, his family. 
Scripture identifies Jesus in many ways, and one of them is Jesus is the rock. And he calls us to build our life on the rock, not on the sand. In other words, build our life on him. See, my friends, the good news is Jesus is the high rock above the water and the solid rock that's stronger than the wind. And so in Jesus, we are kept safe from every enemy that we face, the enemies of sin and death. We have to be led by the hand to that rock that is higher than we are. We not only have to be led by the hand, but we also have to be, as it were, willing to be grabbed and pulled up and, of course, Why are we willing to be grabbed and pulled up? Because the Lord changes our heart. Where we can acknowledge our weakness and poverty and no way up other than he's got to grab us and pull us up. My friends, pray that God the Father through the Spirit would continue to lead us to the Son. Pray for your family and friends that God the Father through the Spirit would lead them to the Son. Amen, let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, these words do seem somewhat strange. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. They may sound strange, but, oh, Father, it is a truth that we need to hear, to believe and act upon. Oh, Father, be pleased to help the faint-hearted among us to cry out to you, to wait on you, to see the salvation of the Lord. We thank you, Father, for your steadfast love and faithfulness that watches over us. Father, help us to be those men and women, boys and girls, who day after day deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.